Thank you for joining us tonight for another episode of Chapter Chat. I am Carrie Ebert and my good friend Mike from Grow Now Therapy and I recently started this online book club and we are enjoying it so much and so we are very excited that you are able to join us tonight. We'll get Mike on here and get started. There he is. Here we are. Hey, hey, hey. How are things? Things are great. It's the best day of the week. It is. It's Monday. It's Monday. We love Mondays now. The, um, day, the day I look forward to all week. I know. And, it's crazy. And, and this is the first book of the book club that you and I are reading for the first time. Yep. And last week was just, just a basic introduction. And man, this first, <laughs> this first chapter has really, really, really... Just really, I, I am so excited. This, the, as I'm turning through the pages, all I think about is Monday, Monday, Monday. I know. I know. It's crazy. So in case you are new, uh, if this is your first time watching or joining us, uh, Finish Lessons, Finish Lessons 2.0 is the book that we are reading. It is our second book of the book club. Our first book, we spent, I think, six weeks on it, and it was called yeah. How Children Succeed by the author's Paul Tuff. Uh, I think we learned a lot. We had both read that book before, so it was kind of a re review for you and I. It was a great overview of the cognitive hypothesis, uh, really doing a great job outlining some of the concerns, is that a good way to say it, that we have here in our um, American education system. And so now uh, we are into uh, our second book and we are really looking at Finland and the Finnish education system and what do you think Mike did chapter one kind of blow your mind chapter one really blew my mind yeah. I think uh, I think one thing that we I think we can all agree upon is education within America really focuses on America a lot of what we learn is America is the world superpower we have the best doctors, the best athletes, the best this, the best that. We learn American history, these sorts of things. And we really don't learn a lot about cultures outside of the country. Of course, America has, is, a, is a melting pot of cultures. But overall, we don't really know a lot about what happens in other countries. Uh, is that done by design? Who knows? But we do know that there's other countries that are having greater success within their educational system. And this book has, we're one chapter in, we're introduction to one chapter in, and it has blown me away how in-depth it goes into- Just in the first chapter. It, the, the first chapter, it's, it's unbelievable. So this first chapter has just absolutely blown me away in terms of uh, the details uh, and really, really uh, how in-depth they go to, uh, to really give, uh, let us know what these students go through, uh, what's it like from early childhood to graduation, uh, and, and really how they were able to reform it from the ground up. And that's what's so exciting to me is in the first chapter, I mean, I have four pages of notes and I was like all excited last night telling my husband about it and everything. And I'm like, it's like they, they have a, they've already given us kind of a template. You know, again, every country is different. And, you know, uh, we have uh, different laws and, you know, different governments. So, I mean, everything isn't going to be uh, a copycat. You know, we're not trying to say, oh, we should just adopt Finland's education system. Uh, but I think that some of their uh, core foundations, their core values for education are really worth considering. 
Absolutely. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of very specific things that they do uh, to really enhance the educational process for their students. Uh, and it, it's, it's uh, I truly believe, I'm always, you know, the optimist. I truly believe that these are things that can be brought over to America. Yeah. I really do believe that. Uh, a lot of these things are not super complicated. Uh, and, and it's, and it's in, in all honesty, a better use of the funds that we already, that we already use and kind of yeah. waste. So of my four pages of notes, what I did right before we sat down, nice. I tried to narrow it down into like, because I'm afraid we could be on here for two hours, which I know nobody is going to stick with us for two hours. So I would like to try to keep it as close to our hour as possible. But as I was looking over my notes, I think that instead of, you know, kind of talking about how the chapter unfolds, it might make more sense, Mike, to kind of talk about what early childhood looks like. And then okay. there, you know, reform looked like with compulsory education um, and the fact that it ends at age 16. And then look at their reformed upper uh, upper um, secondary education and the kind of uh, uh, different um, uh, options that you have when you get to what we call high school. Okay, so what do you think about that? Should we start with what they talked about just briefly at the very end of the chapter? They talked about early childhood and. I, I even think I texted you last night, didn't I, Mike? And I was like, yep. oh my gosh, page 52. <laughs> yep, like, yep, yep. I was, I, was, I was just freaking out a little bit. Um, Amazing. I just, I, I just love it. So just so you know, um, in many other countries, not the United States, but in many other countries, early childhood lasts till age seven. And Finland yep. is one of those countries, okay? Yep. So uh, uh, because they uh, have a different system. I don't know exactly what their tax rate is and how this is all paid for, but uh, maternity leave in Finland begins two months before the mother's due date. Okay. So that's when maternity leave begins. You get full paychecks and you get five months after the baby is born. At that point, then uh, the family, it's not maternity, it's called family leave, and it includes paternity leave as well. And that Correct. lasts until uh, the baby is a year old. So like babies under a year don't go to daycare. That's just not a thing in Finland. And as a, a parent of three children, I'll be honest with you, I think there would have been a lot less stress in our life if, um, you know, me and uh, my husband uh, could have taken turns staying home with our children under age one when they need their parents the most. So then from age one to five, they offer early childhood education. And there's like three different options depending on what kind of daycare, you know, you need. And so they have three different options there. We don't need to get into the specifics. But then at age six, what is fascinating to me is there is an optional preschool. And about, I yes. think I read, it was either 97 or 98% of six-year-olds in Finland take advantage of this. They go to preschool. So not 100%, but pretty close, uh, attend this optional preschool. So when does what we call first grade it begins at age seven. Compulsory education is nine years long in Finland, and it goes from age seven to age 16. What do you think about that, Mike? I think it's absolutely amazing. So uh, I, I think the way you wanted to break this down by starting with early childhood is huge. And I think page 52, for everyone reading along with us, is going to be a major, major staple of where we're going to be talking about tonight. Yeah. So overall, this is basically, you know, the three tenets of early childhood. Number one for Finland education with early childhood. Number one, enhancing the personal well-being of children. Hmm. Number two, enforcing behaviors and habits that take into account other people, building perspective taking at a very young age and executive functioning skill and then increasing individual autonomy 
gradually building independent skills, building education. And these guidelines also stress the importance of the joy of learning, enriching language and communication, and the role of play in children's development and growth. So clearly, Finland, and here's, here's another thing that really stands out to me, and it's a great, uh, a great beginning to this chapter. Um, let me find it. So it's in the beginning. And it really, so on page 22, so this chapter really goes into uh, how reform happened in Finland. And on page 22, that third paragraph down, second, curriculum reform was grounded in empirical studies conducted in 300 field schools involving 1,000 teachers. And the research became part of the education policy making. So clearly based on every, so that's a, that's the beginning of the chapter. So in the beginning of the chapter, you learn that Finnish education was built on hardcore research, a thousand teachers, 300 field schools. And that research that they, that they did really became the foundation of the reform and this Perkaloso, whatever that word is. Oh, I looked up how to say it. Let me (laughs) tell you, I did the like Google Translate. It's Uh Periscula. Periscula. Say it with me, Mike. Paraschoola. <laughs> Paraschoola. That makes so much so, more sense. There yeah, you go. Paraschoola, just for those of you who haven't read the book, is what they refer to that. It was the education reform. It's that compulsory education from age six to age seven to 16. And that is referred to as Paraschoola. But it is the reform. And it was fascinating just to read about how Finland was after the war and, you know, some of the, the struggles they were having. So the first uh, couple pages of this chapter are very rich in history. So I found that fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that was that was really, uh, that was truly very fascinating. Uh, so them using the research and then you go into the rest of the chapter to see what the research really brought them to do. And here it is. And it's really amazing. Uh, and then again on page 52, uh, the aim of pre-primary school, so preschool, in Finland is not school readiness, readiness. Exactly. But, ra- but rather to promote children's growth into humane individuals and ethically responsible members of society by guiding them towards responsible action and compliance and generally accepted rules. There you go. So, yeah. so, so, they, so once again... No one's using the term executive functioning, but clearly they're working on play, executive functioning, and a positive well-being. Because they're talking about non-academic skills. And so this is why I feel like here in the United States, we have mumbled kind of together the term school readiness and academic readiness. I think a lot of the times when we say, oh, we need to get our kids ready for school, right? What do we mean by school readiness? We're actually talking about academic readiness because think about the cognitive hypothesis, which suggests that in early childhood, the most important thing is letters, numbers, shapes, and colors. How many times do you hear parents say, oh, my three-year-old is so smart because he can say his alphabet and you know he knows uh you know he can count to 50 and he can label Mm -hmm. you know i can't even tell you how concerning it is to me that two-year-olds in this country know shapes like octagon and trapezoid and if you happen to call that one shape a moon there are two-year-olds who will correct you and say no that's a crescent and i'm like why do two-year-olds know this stuff this is not i mean think about this for a minute of all the things there are to know in the world Okay, this is when you talk about curriculum, what is curriculum? Curriculum curriculum is somebody's um, choice. 
there's a yeah. choice yeah, yeah. about what we are going to teach young children with developing brains and bodies from all of the things there are to learn in the world. We are going to choose what we teach you. That's what a curriculum is. So when we talk about school readiness in this country, I am always very skeptical when I hear that term because I immediately need clarification. Are you talking about actual school readiness, which is more about executive function, or are you talking about academic readiness? Because we are readiness. sending yeah. a heck of a lot of kids to elementary school, okay, to kindergarten, which should theoretically be early childhood, but it's not. It's in the elementary school. It should be in the early childhood centers. So we're sending five-year-olds to kindergarten, and we're saying they have school readiness. But what we're actually saying is, oh, they have some academic readiness skills, but they actually have really poor um, foundational skills. They don't really have mm. strong, uh, strong uh, um, executive function skills. They don't actually really know how to learn. So, so much of what we should be doing in early childhood is teaching children how to learn. And they learn through play because we're going to intentionally build executive function skills through play. So, there we go. Um, I just, I think that school readiness is a term that we better start considering here in the United States. That is a incredible point. So school readiness versus curriculum readiness yeah, or academic, academic readiness. readiness. Yeah, that's that's. Different. That's a, that's a really, really fascinating thing to talk about. Uh, what really stood out to me here was this framework for early childhood education in Finland, right here, and the way, the way they phrase it on page 52. This framework emphasizes the development of thinking in relation to language and communication. Th think about that. The development of thinking in relation to language and communication. I love it. That's such language pathologists, we couldn't love that anymore, could we? It's it's amazing. And and you think about that, this is, you know, we learned about the tools of the mind curriculum yep. mm -hmm. from uh, from our previous book How Children Succeed and that really helps kids to build their self-talk and their internal language. And here they're saying it emphasizes the development of thinking in relation to language. language. How how can we when, when you're working with young kids, one of the most important things that you can teach them is before they react emotionally and before they get all dysregulated and worked up, if, we're, if you're able to teach a child five and below to stop and think and have an internal conversation before yep. reacting to a peer, before reacting to, a, to an event, before reacting to negativity or, or being provoked, that is, that's it. That children is, that, that children is successful and that children is steps above so many of their other peers. And, right. this is, and this is what they're focusing on. Teaching kids to talk to themselves and thinking in terms of language. So they put it, they, they phrase it as thinking in relation to language. Yeah, so so there's, there's thinking. Anyone can think about a YouTube video they watched. Anyone can think about a video game. Anyone can daydream. There's a difference between daydreaming about preferred tasks, and there's a difference between internal language. Mm -hmm. Internal language is organizing your thoughts, organizing your brain, organizing all of the information you have internally so you can project yourself into the future to make positive right. moments in the present, to, to make positive choices in the present moment so you can plan, prioritize, and problem solve. Absolutely. Okay. Two things I want to say. One is you were talking, you know, you're, every time you talk about um, internal language, I just kind of, it's just such a new term for me. And it's just so, it just makes so much sense. So, you know, when you were talking, what I wrote down on my notes is that 
thinking is visual language. Like thinking is language. And I think that from the speech language pathologist uh, perspective, that's really important for us to acknowledge that when we talk about cognitive development, when we talk about mental flexibility, when we talk about learning to learn, when we talk about thinking skills, and as kids get older, we'll talk about metacognitive skills, which, which is thinking about thinking skills, right? So all of that is actually rooted in language. It's just visual language instead of oral language, right? And as Mike is always so good to point out, the reason children learn through play is because play is external language. When they're yep. playing as young yep. children, they're talking and they're making the mommy say, hi, baby, or they're making the train go choo-choo. But as kids get older, it's not external anymore. They pull it internally and they think. I mean, there you just, go. I just, okay. So then I have to say, somebody asked a question, so I don't want to miss it because, um, you know, we get so many comments and stuff. Because they said, is this true for, for children with apraxia too? This whole idea of how kids learn best. So I just want to start by saying that in Finland, they are brilliant. I mean, I just can't even tell you yeah. like, how brilliant they are. Because in Finland, every student has a personalized learning plan. It is not an IEP. There is no such thing as special education in Finland. So get this. Part of their reform in Finland was wide-scale teacher education reform. And it started way back in 1979. And one of the things that they focus on... I mean, there's so much we have to talk about, but one of the things oh, yeah. that they focus on is high, I got to see where I have my notes here, high quality um, uh, teacher education, and uh, they have to start, oh, I have it written here, no, you, you, you have to wait for me, because this is amazing, they, te all teachers have to start their teaching career in, oh, here it is, here it is, let's see, um, mm -mm 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 -mm. they have to start, oh, where did I write it, this is killing me. Um, they have to start their teaching in the classrooms with children with diverse learning needs. So every teacher starts in that classroom. They don't start like in, oh, I'm going to, it's not like they have teachers who teach special ed and teachers who teach regular ed. Every teacher um, is placed into a, a classroom with students who have diverse learning needs. So what I love so much about that is every teacher is there to support every student, regardless of strengths, regardless of struggles. And what did we say last week in the introduction? Um, something like 65 plus percent of students uh, receive uh, extra one-on-one, -on -one, you know, individual help uh, while they're in their um, uh, paraschoola timing uh, time. So the fact nice. that teachers are so well trained in um, supporting children of different learning abilities, there is no special classroom for children with apraxia or for autistic children or for children with ADHD. Okay, so um, is this uh, does this apply to a child with apraxia? Does this apply to an autistic child? Yes, this applies to every child because uh, um, everything is so um, focused on the better good of society. And don't we want every child to grow up and become the best version of themselves, right? This isn't about saying, oh, we're gonna track you and you don't have a lot of potential. Yeah. We're gonna stick you in special ed and you have great potential. We're gonna put you in advanced placement classes and we're gonna track you to mm -hmm. work in a factory and we're gonna track you to go to college, right? That is what they got rid of in Finland because they said, look, we have to start 
with the focus on equity. And I just got to tell you, this term equity is what absolutely blows my mind. How many times, oh, here are all the rest of my notes. I was trying to figure out where I put all my notes. And that's, um, a, that's a great question that they asked. Does this apply to a child with apraxia as well? That's, uh, thank you for asking that. That's a great question. Yep. But the fact that that question even had to be asked yeah. speaks volumes. It and does. that's sort of a trickle down effect of the American education system. Here in it Finland, is. you're about to tell us about equity and mm -hmm. how equity is a major part of the Finland education system. Here in America, we've separated. We've, right. we, we, a, a child with apraxia, you know, it, it, first of all, you're going to have to fight for prompt therapy for whatever the therapy. You're, you're yeah. going to have to fight for the services. The school is going to try to do the minimum with the IEP. And they're not going to be able to assimilate into the gen ed curriculum and have the same experience as their peers. Equity is the name of the game here. It is. And so I just love it. On page 23, right, right when the chapter begins, um, it talks about I have two things that I have start here. Um, the foundations of Finnish education policy, social justice, social justice and equal education opportunities. The educational reform platform, you ready for this? Equitable mm -hmm. distribution of good teaching and learning throughout the nation. I mean, how, how much do we need this? Because don't we have schools, um, we talk about inner city schools or we talk about schools you know, that are really um, struggling and then we have these charter schools and these private schools. See, you have to understand in Finland, there is no competition. Yes. Public schooling. There is public schooling and there are no other options. You don't get the choice to say, oh, I'm going to send my child to this charter school that costs $75,000 a year because I can afford it because I am a privileged person exactly. in this country. That doesn't exist in Finland. There is one education system and it is top notch for every student of every socioeconomic class. And sorry, my puppies are having a party <laughs> on um, And so to me, that is something where our country is clearly struggling, right? Is with this equity and uh, um, that the haves getting more and the have nots getting less. We have to stop with this, okay? Um, and so uh, it, it was fascinating uh, for me to uh, read some of, uh, you know, the, just the, the basic foundations of the comprehensive school reform in Finland. So we have some more apraxia comments here. Okay. Uh, my daughter is being moved from a 12 to a 10 because of her apraxia. They say it's the best for her because if more visuals, her receptive is awesome, only her expressive. So I didn't have another option. Moving her from a 12 to a 10, what does that mean? In the, yeah, like, that, that's what I was wondering. 10th grade, I don't know what that means exactly. Um, but here's the deal. Um, there are other options for expressive language than talking yeah. than speech. If speech yeah. is that significantly, um, first of all, they better be using a motor-based approach in speech therapy. I mean, you have to actually use a very specific, uh, oh, so is it DRA level? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't work in the schools. But the point is, apraxia is um, a, a motor speech disorder. And so, exactly. to, um, you know, and, and we know that with apraxia, kids often have um, comorbid language and reading disabilities as well. So there can be academic struggles, no doubt about it, especially as students with apraxia get older. But holding children back, which is something they do not do in Finland, by the way, they do not hold them back. They do not make you flunk a class. I mean, they give you the support you need to be successful. Um, so I, they do say what's fascinating, and we'll get to it here in a minute, when they get to the, um, what we call high school, but to that upper secondary education, um, 
some students do take longer than others because if they have, you know, um, struggles and if they um, uh, need extra support, it may take them longer. Um, but wait till we tell you guys about what high school looks like in Finland. I mean, that's the part that's yeah. in my mind. So let's yeah. stick with what else do we have to say about early childhood? Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about, Mike? Uh, there was definitely something else here. Let me find it. Let's go to, let's go to our favorite page of the chapter. Take a look oh, here. Okay. Uh, it's page 52. Okay. Uh, so, so we talked before about school readiness. Uh -huh. So school readiness here in America kind of means that, uh, you know, it's, it's based on the individual. Is the individual ready for school? But school readiness in Finland means that all schools must be ready to receive all children yes. just as they are. Just so, as they are. So school readiness is placed on the school, the school. not the individual students. Right. They need right. to be able to do that. This is one reason why Finland's early childhood education, including preschool, doesn't prioritize reading, writing, and math skills. Right. That's so right. there you go. So, 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 so we talk about early childhood as these sponge parts of the brain right. that are so crucial and they're not teaching kids to read, write, and do math in preschool and kindergarten. And then you look at the, uh, how these kids are by 12th grade, by college, right. there you have it. So, they're, they're clear, very well. so, so clearly letting the kids play and not te teaching them letters is not having long-term effects. Actually, it is having long-term effects. It's helping them to decrease their anxiety and be more successful. That's right. And I just found, found it so interesting. I don't have the exact page, but I remember reading that they said there is no such thing as school readiness in early childhood. They don't use the term. Think mm -hmm. how often that comes up in the United States. How often we talk about two and three-year-olds. So I remember being in a daycare. I'm talking, I was in like the 30-month-old classroom, right? At this day, they call it preschool. I'm like, it's daycare. You know, I mean, why, you know, but they call it preschool so they can, I guess, charge more. So parents have to pay more because it's an academic preschool for two-year-olds. And um, so they were, they had a letter of the week and they had a number of the week and they were trying to do circle time with two-year-olds which is like herding cats there's nothing yep. even remotely developmentally appropriate about this so afterwards i was so concerned about the academic structure i mean and the high structure and how much the teacher was um disciplining two-year-olds for not sitting still for not sitting crisscross applesauce i double dare you to try to sit crisscross applesauce mm. it is far and away the most uncomfortable way for any human being to sit and yet we mandate the little kids <laughs> sit that way for like a 15-minute circle time and they're talking about the weather and they're talking about who the president is going to be and i'm just like these are two-year-olds these are toddlers so when i went to the director and i said hey i was just curious if you could tell me a little bit about your curriculum in the two-year-old classroom and as she was explaining it she said you you know, our whole goal is to make sure that we are focusing on school readiness. And I'm like, for two-year-olds? Because I don't understand why we're focusing on school readiness for two-year-olds. It just makes me think about, like, okay, I just turned 50. Maybe I need to start my nursing home preparedness training. You know, maybe you need to get me a walker, and I need to put a commode next to my bed so I can start practice using the commode. And maybe you should just give me some pureed food. And maybe I maybe just go ahead and thicken my liquids because I might someday have a stroke and need thickened liquids. And let's just be honest, we all better hope that thickened wine is delicious, right? <laughs> so if we're right. going to start making two-year-olds ready for school, then let's start making 50-year-olds ready for the nursing home, right? So oh. this is what I don't understand, is what are we doing when we say school readiness with babies with developing nervous systems? These are young children who are not fully developed in any way, shape, or form, and we're trying to get them ready for school, have we lost our mind? I mean, I just, 
I don't understand where this comes from because there is nothing in the evidence that says you should be force feeding academics to toddlers and preschoolers. And yet the United States, this is what we do. And parents pay 200, $250 a week to get to force feed academics to their child to get them ready for school. There you go. So the biggest thing, the biggest thing that really, that was amazing. T take a sip, take a sip, <laughs> sit back and take a sip. That was amazing. Everyone loved it. Great work. Everyone comment how much you love that. <laughs> that was amazing. So page on page 33, this is the thing that I underlined, I starred, I circled. And it's very, very simple. It's to the point, done. Finnish students experience less anxiety compared with peers in other countries. Yep. So there you go. The research shows. Yep. So here in America, this educational system that we have, by making early childhood education stressful, by focusing on the cognitive hypothesis, by having competition between schools, oh. by having by having school by having schools not be not collaborating with each other, by by const, constant focus on grades, 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 testing, 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 scores, 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 evals, 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 constant evals, all of these things. We have created an environment. We have created an, an environment in our schools that fosters anxiety yep. instead of resilience. Yep. So there, there the is opposite. a- The opposite, the opposite of what we want. There is a second pandemic going on right now, there and is. it is anxiety. It is, so, mental, it is mental health, and we are starting these issues in early childhood. And, and I, I, I don't even know. The one thing I wanna, I wanna talk about before we move into what um, upper, upper um, uh, secondary uh, schooling looks like is in 1972 is when there was another wave of implementation of this what they call the national curriculum for the comprehensive school um, and so I just I just want to read this to you because I wrote the three points down comprehensive school reform triggered three aspects instrumental in creating a well-performing education system so here you guys are going to love this number one we're going to bring together a wide variety of students with different life circumstances and aspirations to learn in the same schools, okay? Um, and it's going to require, in order to do that, a new approach to teaching and a new approach to learning. So from very early on, and back in the 70s, it was understood that the education of students with special needs, are y'all listening, okay? That the education of students with special needs would only be successful if learning difficulties and differences were identified and addressed early on, right? So they're addressed early on. We're not going to use the wait and see. We're not going to say, well, they don't, they're not two and a half standard deviations below the mean yet. So we're mm -hmm. not going to help them. They identify them immediately and, and start supporting them. The second uh, component of this uh, school reform, career guidance. You guys are going to be floored by this. Like I was telling my husband this and he was like, there's no way. I'm like, seriously, career guidance and counseling became compulsory in the upper education, in the upper secondary education. Um, and uh, when we start talking about that, what's fascinating is they, they are mandated. Every student is mandated to get two hours per week of counseling and guidance. Two hours per week. Are you guys hearing me? I mean, don't, don't even get me started on this. When I, I, read, that, when I read that, I had to put the book down for a I second and, 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 think, and think about that. I know. And they hire... Um, Amazing health professionals in the schools to help with the counseling and the guidance. And they, I mean, it's all about, you know, like not just job guidance, but like mental health guidance. Like, are you okay? Are you struggling? What do you need help with at home, at school? Unbelievable. And then number three, all teachers, 
Here it is. This is what I was looking for earlier. All teachers have to begin work in school with diverse abilities, okay? The new philosophy in Finland became all pupils can learn if given appropriate opportunities and support. So the idea of learning through human diversity, which I just cannot tell you this aligns so much with the neurodiversity movement here in the United States, this huge neurodiversity movement that says we have to stop trying to fix autistic students. We have to mm -hmm. stop trying to fix students who have been diagnosed with ADD. You can't fix neurology, okay? What yep. we're talking about is accepting that there is, that the human um, the, the biodiversity is a thing. Neurodiversity is a thing. And we need to be grateful for that. I mean, diversity is huge and it empowers us um, as a whole to be stronger and better. But I just love that they talk about in Finland on page 30, learning through human diversity is an important educational goal. Um, and I just, I, I just can't even tell you. So, uh, so that's what I wanted to say is it, they've got a plan, if you will, of what reform looks like and what their foundational uh, goals are. There we go. So on page 30, this is it. This is what I was so excited to talk about. TGIM, let's talk about it. Okay. In, in Finland, career guidance and counseling is compulsory part of school curriculum in yep. all schools. I, as soon as I read compulsory. that, I, 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 could, I, I, had to, I had to take a deep breath and think about that for a second. How many students go from preschool, kindergarten, all the way to high school, get a diploma to graduate without ever even meeting their guidance counselor. Okay, you, can I tell you the funniest story about this? So when yeah. I was in middle school, okay, it used to be called junior high. That's how old I am, okay? Um, I was in, in, in junior high, in eighth grade. And we had, I got to meet with the guidance counselor one time as an eighth grader one time and I had to take this weird test about like preferences and things you like and just like I remember it was like a Scantron test and a week later I got my results and it told me what career I should choose are you ready mm. for this I could not make this up if I tried it said that I should go into pest control <laughs> wow <laughs> wow um, wow. job based on my skills and my personality and my temperament that I should be in pest control. Now, I'm very grateful that there are people in pest control. I could tell you a horror story about something called army worms that have infested our yard and killed every blade of grass in our entire neighborhood, okay? So I'm very grateful that pest control is a thing. But the fact that in eighth grade, some test decided, not a human being, some test decided that I should kill bugs for a living. I mean, do you understand, you guys, what a joke our guidance counseling is? What were you country? putting as answers? What were the answers that you were putting that could possibly oh, lead I'm to that? Sure it's because I'm very type A. I like things neat and tidy. I don't, I mean, that's all I can think of is that I, you know. So I, that I goes to pest like control? I have no idea. That is the most control. ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. That's yeah. not a, that's not a job. Pest control, all respect that's to people a career, in pest control. Right? That's all, res all respect to people in pest control. But that's not something that you like choose. Strive for. No, it's not, it's, it's, your dad owns a company or you know whatever. So, um, anyway, <laughs> I don't know why I got on that tangent. But the oh, the idea of career counseling. So my husband and I are both first. What do you call when you're the first person in your family to go to college? Um, first generation. Yeah, we're yeah. first geners. Okay, and yep. so we, my husband and I, have been talking a lot lately. How. Well, actually, I was talking to one of my daughters on um, this weekend, and we, she's getting her master's right now. We were talking about student loan payments and how everything's, um, uh, you know, being delayed because of COVID. So she's not 
earning any interest right now, but she's making payments and she's paying enough to cover the interest so that her loan isn't growing. And I just said to her, you know, it would have been so amazing to have some kind of guidance like this. Because when my husband and I got out of school with our student loan debt, we had no idea what we were doing. We had no guidance. Uh, and so um, I, I think that uh, having career guidance, a guidance counselor all the way through schooling, I just honestly can't fathom what that must be like. It's unbelievable. And, and we, have, we have a great comment here. Guidance counselors are basically people who do scheduling and they, and they have minimal college count and there's minimal college counseling right. as well. And that's exactly what it is. In high school, my guidance counselor was the person that I went to if I lost something or right. I went to for or, or like a schedule things. sort of schedule thing. Things. I didn't receive any guidance and I didn't receive any counseling. And here it is an integral part. And they say it right here. Uh, they believe that students would need systemic counseling on their options after completing basic school. Career guidance was intended to minimize the possibility that students would make inappropriate choices regarding their future. So we learned in how children succeed, we learned about these non-cognitive skills, these character skills. We talked about the growth mindset. We talked about grit, all of these things that aren't academic based. Non-academic, so, non-academic skills. Non -academic so we like skills. to call executive exactly. functions. Exactly. So, uh, so obviously, the majority of school are the academics, and you know, this same in Finland, you're learning, you know, math, science. Uh, we, we have a special guest here. Yes, there's. Hi. And then for Finland to make it a point for them to meet with counselors, and they're not talking about science, they're not talking about social studies, they're not talking about math. They're talking about character. So right. they're talking about, this is who I am. These and they're are talking my... about mental health. Mental How health. How are you? Yeah. Right? And, and this, is, this is unbelievable for students to have counselors where it's not a choice. Right. You need to meet with this person to go over your future. Every to set... week. And you know, and so if they're meeting every week, you know they're doing short-term goals. Yep. They're doing long-term goals. They're teaching kids how to set goals. That's they're right. teaching, they're they're teaching te kids executive function skills. Yes. And that is what, I mean, if Mike and I just in a nutshell could sum everything up that we're so passionate about is we're focusing on the wrong set of skills in the United States. Instead of focusing on rote memorization of facts, you know, when did this war start? When did this war end? What's the capital of New Jersey? You know, all this stuff that you can free, honestly Google, you can Google any information, you know, factual information that you need. But instead, could we start focusing on things like um, you know, uh, uh, self-talk? And can we start focusing on resiliency? And can we start focusing on how about mental flexibility, right? There you go. And yep. Can we start focusing on inhibitory control? Like, can you just not say what you're thinking? You know, I mean, these are the kinds of things that we're trying to focus on uh, instead of saying, oh, we need to focus on letters, numbers, shapes, and colors. And so let's talk though, Mike, if we could now, I'll put that puppy down because um, I'm distracted, um, about so once you get through your compulsory schooling, compulsory education in Finland ends at age 16. So if you want to be done at 16, okay, that is your choice. Now, uh, it's not recommended, of course, but mm -hmm. at age 16 is when it ends. So then at 16, you are going to go into upper secondary education. Now, what's cool about this, and I just have to say, Mike, that I think page, is it 50? Let me look here. There's a, a chart that was so helpful for me. So if you have the book, you really want to look at page 50 because their education system is more complex than ours because, um, 
they have um, a student choice built in. So early childhood education lasts till age six. At age six, from, from six to seven is optional preschool. At age seven starts paraschoola. Okay, and that is from age seven to age 16. Okay, then at age 16, you have three choices. You can either go into 10th grade, or you can go into general upper secondary school, or you can go into vocational upper secondary school. Okay, now what I love so much about this is if you choose vocational, if you say, I want to be a plumber, I want to be an electrician, you still always have the option to go back into what we would probably call here in the United States college prep, right? It's more mm -hmm. of that, it's um, focusing on mm -hmm. academics more as opposed to vocational. But what I love is this arrow that shows if you decide at 16, I'm gonna go into vocational, and then at 17, you're like, wait, actually, I think I wanna be a doctor, right? Or you wanna change your mind, you'll notice that the arrow crosses over both ways. If you decide, oh, I wanna go into general upper secondary ed, and then you decide, no, I wanna be an electrician, guess what, the arrow goes the other way. So what I love is that you don't close doors. It's not tracking like, oh, you wanna, you know, you picked Vogue so you can't, you know, go to college. It's not like that at all. But here is the crazy points. I mean, there's like three crazy things about upper secondary education, what we call high school, okay, here in the United States. Number one is they do not divide students by age. There is no 10th grade, 11th grade, and 12th grade. I mean, this is what is crazy to me, is they have, um, no, it's called a non-class organizational system. Now, the reason this is so cool, and as I started thinking about this, I'm like, this is amazing. It allows for increased flexibility in planning your studies, both in content, but also in sequencing, like what order. So you don't have to take like English 10 and then English 11, then English 12. Like here in the United States, we have you know these, these classes, you have to take them in a certain order, right? So what would you think about that, Mike, if you were in class with, it'd be more like college, wouldn't it? Weren't, didn't you take college classes where there were older students and there were younger students? Exactly, exactly. And it, it, all, it all brings me back to this idea of student choice. And it made, me, it made me think of like early intervention and early childhood with speech therapy. And one of the first things you learn is that when a kid's having a tantrum or a kid is getting dysregulated, what do you do? You give them a choice and you let them feel like they're the leader and, and, and it helps them control. take, and they're in control and it, and it helps them take ownership over the session. And I've had some of my best sessions with three to five year olds when I give them choices within the session. Uh -huh. And the biggest, the biggest thing Finland does is not only are they having success academically, not only have they decreased anxiety, but they have kind of indirectly truly improved intrinsic motivation. Yeah, so oh, give, that's all they're about. So that's exactly what it is. And giving these students choice, giving them choice uh, giving them the counseling, allowing them to figure out what fits best for them, making. And what are you interested in right now? What are you interested That's what's in? So amazing is yep. when you're not given a set curriculum. Oh, you have to. Sorry, you're tenth grade. You have to take X, Y, and Z, and then we'll give you one one elective. Right? Isn't that how it is? Oh, you have. That's to exactly what it is. It has to be either art or music. So is it really an elective then? Do you know what I mean? When they're when they're dictating, right? Exactly. And 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 Paul Tuff, uh, touched on this is a, a lot of kids are bored in American classrooms oh, yeah. because they realize what they're learning is never going it's to irrelevant. be applicable. It's irrelevant. Yeah. And it's never going to be applicable in real life. And right. if we allow student choice, 
with the aid of counseling. With guidance, though. With it's guidance. Not, see, this is why in the yes. United States people flip out when we say student choice, and they're like, well, they won't make good decisions. Do you see the decisions they make? But here's the difference. They're not out there on their own, like, you know, like American students are. They're getting guidance two hours a week from a, 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 an educational counselor, um, a mental health counselor. So, hello. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. So, along with no fixed grades, there's a non-class organizational system, okay? There is also, are you ready for this? I just, I can't even tell you how excited <laughs> this makes me, okay? They do not have two semesters. They abolished this back in, I think, the 19, late 1970s. Um, they abolished semesters. You know how here in this country, you have to take algebra two for a whole semester. You have to take you know biology for a whole semester oh no 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 in finland depending on how your school is set up you take um a, a six you take six six week courses in your school year okay so every six weeks you get a new schedule you guys how are you going to get bored how are you going to feel like you know i mean it's just it's brilliant. Now, let me tell you, my daughters went to a private high school here in the Kansas City area. Um, it was a, a Lutheran high school. And so we really like the small class size. We like the, the anyways, here in the United States, we have choice, right? So um, my, my son goes to private or to public school here, but our daughters went to a very small private Lutheran school. And what was so cool was after winter break, the month of January, they had a course called Winterum. Like interim, mm. but with the W, Winterum. And Winterum mm -hmm. was, I think it was a five week course, and it was on. It, they had all these amazing topics and they were taught by people in the community. So you could take a cooking class by a chef or you could take an auto repair class by a mechanic or you could take, you know, whatever you were interested in. Um, my one daughter took a, um, oh, it was by a paramedic, like, um, if there's an emergency, what do you like? A, like EMS. Yes. It was stuff, a, yeah. Like what yep. to do in an emergency. And she got this yep. backpack full of stuff that, you know, if there's ever an emergency, how to help people. And she is now a nurse, you know, so it's just really cool. And so I was asking the girls, I was like, did you guys like Winterum? Was that like, cause I remembered them loving. They were like, it was the best part of the whole school year. I mean, it was amazing because we were excited every day. It was, it was, um, what's our term, Mike? It was, um, Project-based learning. Project-based learning. Every single yeah. bit of it was project-based. And it was only five weeks long. And then was there an assessment at the end? Yeah, it wasn't a standardized test. But it was an assessment to make sure that you learned and then you moved on. And so the fact that Finland's entire secondary, upper secondary education system is based on, on that, I just... I would love that so much because I was that kid in, even in college, I just got bored. I was like, I have to sit here for a whole semester. You know, I mean, I was like, God, can't we just, so I just found that fascinating that um, they do uh, two, not, they don't have two semesters. They have six, six week periods. Now there are 18 compulsory classes. Subjects. No, subjects. Yep. Not subjects. Classes. 18 mm -hmm. compulsory subjects that every student has to take. So when we say, oh, well, but what about the student who doesn't like math or doesn't want to take math? No, that's not an option. I mean, there are, there are built-in safeguards, right? You have to learn the basics. And so there are 18 required subjects. Um, and um, so to graduate from this upper um, secondary education, you have to take a minimum of 75 courses and each course has 38 lessons each. And two thirds of those are compulsory, but the rest are freely chosen. And what I found fascinating is they said most students in Finland graduate with 80 to 90 courses, even though 75 is the minimum. This is how much they love learning there. Unbelievable. And uh, on page 33, they really sum it up. Page 33 in the bottom, traditional school organization 
was based on the presentation recitation model. So presentation, yes. so present, recite, present, recite. I've always Basically called- memorize and regurgitate. Memorize and regurgitate. That's, that's exactly what it is. I've always called it the listen, uh, lecture, listen. So lecture, teachers, listen. Teachers, le teachers lecture, students listen. They try to keep it in their working memory as long as they can. They regurgitate it onto a test and they forget it the next day. That's the but American like how model. how many times did even we as students only memorize it for the test? We didn't actually- 100% of the time. It. We couldn't, you know, um, uh, we, we just memorized it because they would even give you a study sheet. Remember how- Exactly. Students in high school would give us a study sheet? Exactly. Like, just know these definitions and know these dates and you'll be fine on the test. So that's why I'm so bad at trivia today because I only learned what I had to learn in the moment, but I didn't actually soak it in. I didn't actually absorb it, right? So exactly. I, I, and that's why, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I love learning. I've always loved learning. Uh, but the way we learned, um, it got boring. It got monotonous. It got mundane. We had homework just for the sake of homework, you know, busy work. How many times do we hear kids say, I just have so much busy work I have to do? Like, you know, so yeah, yeah there's, yeah. So go on about with page 33, because I have the whole page basically highlighted. <laughs> <laughs> Traditional school organization based on presentation, recitation models of instruction, age grouping, as we talked about, yeah. fixed teaching schedules, which is the semesters, uh, dominance of classroom-based seat work. So kids oh. are, so not kids are- Not project-based learning. Not, yep, not seat work. Not hands-on learning. Sitting, sitting at a desk all day, yeah. hence all of the sensory issues of, of children today. Oh, we uh, talk for hours about that. There you go. Uh, and uh, where do we have it? Dominance of classroom-based seat work has been gradually transformed to provide more flexible, open, and interaction-rich learning environments where an active role for students comes first. First. There yeah. we go. And that's exactly, that's exactly what it is. And I love it because they mentioned over and over again that teachers must use alternative instructional methods. I mean, it, it, that's like a requirement, okay? It says right here, the new Paris School required teachers to employ alternative teaching methods, design learning environments that enable differentiated learning for different students, and they wanted teaching to be perceived as a high status profession. And I've looked ahead, and I promise you, in Finland, it is a high status profession, which is much different from, unfortunately, how it is here in the United States. So we've touched on two crucial points so far about students in Finland. Students. The first one that really should stand out to all of the listeners and all of the great members of this book club here, this chapter chat, number one is this, the vast majority of the students, I think it was like, what, 85% go above the mandatory number right. of credits. Think about Yep. Two thirds. Two -thirds. Yep. So, th so think about that. In America, if there was a mandatory number of credits before graduation, how many of our students would stay in school and how many would just move on and be like, I'm done? Right. It, right. It, 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 it's, it's not even close. But the students in Finland want to stay in school. Because Why? It's, it's relevant learning. They're it's learning relevant learning. They're relevant and meaningful. Yeah. And they, and, and they have not combined learning, challenging, gaining knowledge with anxiety and right. stress like America has. And that's exactly what the cognitive hypothesis, it's, it's, it's basically fate and destiny that we started with how children succeed and then moved on to this. So yeah. how, how children succeed 
really talked about the cognitive hypothesis and what it's doing to these students. We, Paul Tuff told us story after story about individual students that are falling behind, stressed out, living in toxic environments, getting filled with stress, getting filled with anxiety, and not being able to learn. Here within this book, we are learning that students in Finland not only feel safe, have less anxiety, but they are intrinsically motivated to learn. And yep. school is not only a place where they have to go every day, it's a place they want get to, to go. go. Oh, and this is what I love, is when you want to talk about the language you use, they get to go to school, right? Exactly. We need, we need to really think about that intrinsic motivation. So I just want to mention that vocational upper secondary education also went, you know, under significant adaptations. So in order to graduate from the vocational side, you have to have 120 credits, which equals three years of full-time full study. Um, but you always have access to upper secondary schools and you can transfer over if you want. So I really like that. The performance assessments of skills and knowledge um, uh, is developed by the schools, employers, and employees. That's what's so amazing is on the vocational side, they're working directly with employers, right? They are, they are grooming these students. They actually go out into the community and work as part of their schooling. So it is- um, doing internships. Really, a really fast, so I have it here, vocational, one-sixth of the training is on the job. They on have the job. alternative workshops, apprenticeships, and virtual learning. Those are now more commonplace on the, on the vocational side. So in general, the methods of instruction and training have changed. Um, and just so you know, they have allocated a pretty significant amount of money for vocational schools that is allocated for teacher knowledge and skills for increasing teachers knowledge and skills especially in this high-tech world we live in so that the teachers are constantly being educated on here's the newest right technology here's the newest whatever so they pour a huge amount of money and resources into um teacher preparation and making sure teachers aren't just tenured and you know haven't had any continuing ed for you know how long so i really appreciate that but i do want to mention just in case we have to end soon there is only one, are you guys listening to me? There is only one high stakes test that Finnish students take. Yes. And they only take that high, so high stakes testing here in the United States is what, Mike? What do we refer to as high stakes testing? The uh, SATs, SATs, the ACTs, there's the also ACTs. state state level testing. Like the Iowa Test of Basic Skills, that was what we took where I lived in, in, in elementary school. So there's always gonna be high stakes testing, right? And, always. and supposedly, then your funding from the federal government is based on how well your school does as a whole on these high stakes tests. It, depends, it determines how much of a scholarship you get to go to college, right? All of these things. But in Finland, there's only one high stakes test and you do not take it until you are finished with paraschoola. So when you're finished with your um, compulsory nine years of schooling, you take this high stakes testing and it's called the National Matriculation Examination. And um, the only thing that it assesses, and this is what I love, the main thing it assesses is your um, academic and educational maturity. How awesome mm. is that wording? Mm. I love that. So listen to some of the questions. Are you ready for this, you guys? This, these are sample questions on the, what did I call it? The matriculation. Matriculation exam. exam. Yeah, matric Here we go. You ready? Here's some sample essay topics, okay? 
Um, some politicians, athletes, and other ce celebrities have publicly regretted and apologized for what they have said or done. Discuss the meaning of the apology and accepting it as a social and personal act. Here's another question. Has your body become your hobby? Here's another question. Media is competing for audiences. What are the consequences? Here's another one. Choose three world religions and compare the role and use of a holy image within them. Ooh, here's a sample health education question. What is the basis of dietary recommendations in Finland and what is their aim? Ooh, here's a psychology question. Design a study. Are you kidding me? Design a study. These kids know how to do this. Design a study to find out how personality affects individuals' behavior on Facebook and other social media. Discuss the ethical considerations for that type of study. Ooh, here's a sample history question. Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels predicted that a socialist revolution would happen in countries like Great Britain. What made Marx and Engels claim that, and why did a socialist revolution happen in Russia? A sample philosophy question. In what sense are happiness, good life, and well-being ethical concepts? Mm, mm. Unbelievable. Okay. Unbelievable. So they basically say the nature of these individual exams is to try to test students' ability to cope with unexpected tasks. So once again, the, when, when, when students are finally asked to do high stakes testing, Finland still found a way to make it applicable to real life. Yep, real life. It's not, have you memorized the capitals of X, Y, and Z? Have you, you know, nope. can you figure out this complex algebra problem that you'll probably never have to do in your entire life in your job, right? It's really about your ability to think about your ability to think beyond yourself? Do you think about the better good of your society? Do you think about how your actions affect um, your fellow man? I mean, it's just, it's amazing to me that this is the only high stakes testing, okay, that is done in Finland. And um, so, yeah, I, I, just, I, I just have to say that I still am trying to take in all of this information. Are you too, Mike? Like chapter one was overwhelmingly amazing. It was amazing. And, and we, have, we have someone commenting here who went to high school in Finland. So, so when I went to high school in Finland, I definitely did not have anxiety. I understood what my weaknesses were and took classes that were matched with my strengths. Oh. And then they wrote, what is crazy about the testing in Finland is that the questions make you really use your knowledge in a different way. It's, it's, it's really it unbelievable. flexibility, which is one of the executive function areas. Oh, you absolutely. It. Absolutely. And it, here's the thing. Again, nothing that we described here today that Finland's doing, nothing that we described is a billion dollar plan nope. or a multi-million dollar plan. Nope. It is nope. changing the way we use school in our country. Yep. Getting rid of school competition is free. Oh, we haven't even talked about that, Mike. We have to. We have a few minutes. I yes. just have to mention, and I don't know where, I have notes on this somewhere, but I took so many notes. The crazy thing that is so different in Finland from here is that they, oh, here it is. Oh, one of the, because they had three phases of um, reform. And the second phase is called improvement through networking and self-regulation. So collaboration is one of the, the key components of the education reform in Finland. And they said they transformed schools into, are you ready for this term? Like this is the bomb, active learning communities. Active learning communities, okay? They called it the Aquarium Project. I'm not 100% sure why that I can understand why they called it the Aquarium Project. 
But on page 46, they explain it. And what they did is they created an atmosphere where schools collaborated instead of competed. So there is no competition between North and South or between Roosevelt and Truman or whatever your schools are. Like in the United States, we very much are head to head, right? Like, oh, our school's better than yours. Ooh, we have a better, pro ooh, our football team's better. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But in Finland, they actually work together. The entire teaching, they have the aquarium project, whatever this is, it's a way for all of the educators to partner together. And that is why there is only, are you ready for this? A 5% difference in performance between any two schools. No more than a 5% difference. So it's not like they have you know, schools in the wealthy part of town and schools in the poor part of town and that the, the schools in the poor part of town score so much worse. No, no, no. There is no more than a 5% difference in performance. What in the heck? I mean, you guys, yeah, are you yeah. now? Give us some feedback. Yeah. Rick and I want your feedback. I mean, what do you think of this? Is this, is this like not the coolest thing? How many of you want to go to Finland with me and Mike? Like, and check yeah. it out. And, and, and we, we basically grew up in this model and it's basically just what we're so used to and we just accept it as normal. Accept it. Right. So here you can be in one tiny little suburban towns district and the teachers at the elementary school probably have no idea who the teachers at the middle school are. And right. they have no idea who the teachers are at the high school. So you can have one you can have one little town with one elementary school, one middle school, one high school, and there's a chance that teachers don't even know each other and don't talk to each other and don't share ideas. And and the next town over, they definitely have no idea who who these people are. So getting rid of school competition is priority number uh, one. Teachers have to come together and that is one hundred percent free. So all of these ideas we talked about today, that's getting rid of anxiety, bringing school motivation. Yes, it's going to take work and it's going to take convincing people. But if Finland can do it, and yes, Finland is the, is the size of Minnesota. I get it. And there's, oh, way more, and, there's, and there's way more diversity here. But we can do this here because we are burning money in education. Burning money that can, go, that can go directly to teachers and finally increasing teacher salaries. And we can do what Finland did and increase choice and decrease anxiety. On page 30, they or it must have been around there because I have page 30 written near these notes that they said all of our schools function as small scale democracies. So when we talk about the fact that Finland only has 5 million people in it and that's roughly the size of the state of Minnesota or you know I think where I grew up in the state of Iowa, I don't even think we have 3 million people there. I think like Wyoming only has like a million people. So you know I mean there are some states that are much smaller and then there are some states that are obviously much more populated. But if we are talking about running it state by state instead of the federal government saying, hey, here is the, here is, you know, the, the, the policy. Here's no child left behind. What was the one that Obama put into place? It had a name too. Rise um, to the top. Rise to the top. Is that what it was? Mm -hmm. And they're both horrible because they both yeah. push. So it, it, yeah. you can't make this about political parties. I know everybody wants to make it. It's the Republicans' fault. It's the Democrats' fault. Sorry, we had one Republican screwed up and we had a Democrat. And hey, it's right all of them. So it's all we are not going to make this political here in the United States and say it's, it, that if we could just get a, a blank, a Republican or a Democrat in there would solve it. We've proven that when politicians run education, they F everything up, okay? There you go, exactly, you, you, but, um, yes you can. what we need is we need people who understand child development, we need people who understand brain development, we need people who actually understand what education and what curriculum is instead of 
uh, making this political. So I don't know how we're going to get there, Mike. I don't know, unless you and I start running, like, you know, the country. I don't know. That's exactly um, that. That'd be nice. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to figure something out. And I truly believe I've been saying this for 10 years. I've been a professional speaker for 11, and I've been doing my seminar on the power of play for 10 years. And I've been saying for at least 10 years that it's going to take a grassroots movement. And what that means is it's not going to come from the top down because education is too, there's too much red tape in the United States. There's too many layers. You know, you've got your city you know, layer, and then you've got your county layer, and then you've got your city, then you've got your state, then you have federal, right? There's too many layers of red tape. So what it's going to take is a grassroots movement that's going to come from the bottom up and it's going to have to be educators it's going to have to be um uh early child or you know childhood specialists it's going to be therapists it's going to have to be parents most certainly but this is why mike and i are so passionate about this book club because education is everything and when you look at the reference books that mike and i you know that i mean we buy a book a week don't we mike? we I mean, sure do he and i talk again we've never met in person one day that's on our right bucket list yeah, let's tell them. Third book. So I, I am on. so excited. Our third book is called Most Likely to Succeed, Preparing Our Kids for the Innovation Era. And I'm super excited about this because we live in a high-tech world, right? So I'm super excited to see this was published in 2015. So it's a little bit newer than our, our last two books. But um, I'm very excited about this. But we've got lots left in finished lessons. So next week, what we're going to do is um, uh, we're going to talk about chapter two. What's it called, Mike? Have you looked ahead? Uh, I did. Uh, less is more. Oh, the finish Less paradox. is more. Less is more. And the, there's always a quote at the beginning. Let me read this. I haven't even read it yet. It says, if everybody thinks the same way. Oh, I love this. Nobody thinks very much. <laughs> that was his, to end his, on his huh? grandmother's advice. And how about this? Uh, how about this to end off on this? On page 44, this really stood out to me. Okay. So, all, so a great deal of the research that Finland used to reform their education to make it so successful came from the ultimate irony. It came from the University of Minnesota, Stanford, <laughs> Johns Hopkins. The secret, the secret of the successful influence of these educational reforms came from the United States. So that means we have inklings of hope right that we have had ideas here that finland felt worthy and that's why i love i just have to say this author posse salberg um he's very gracious in that he says very you know we didn't come up with all of this on our own you know we have a system and i want to share that system with you because it has been extremely successful but we are in the business of sharing ideas right globally sharing ideas so that because we know every country runs differently every culture is different and so every education system is going to be different but but if we could just get back on track and stop focusing on academic readiness and start focusing on true school readiness, which tomorrow, Mike, I am so excited. I'm going to have to call you after. Tomorrow I'm giving um, a new course, a four-hour course called wow. um, Supporting Executive Functions Through Play-Based Learning. And I, it's an early childhood uh, school That's amazing. Right here in the Kansas City area. And I am so excited. I'm kind of their welcome back to school uh, opening uh, person, presenter. So it's going to be very interactive. And I've learned so much from you, Mike. I've learned so much from uh, reading our first, you know, two books so far. And I'm like this executive function, like, like crazy person now. Like I can't yeah. get enough because it's always been, 
I would call it the missing link. It's been, I've been talking about it, but in roundabout ways, not having an actual term for it. So I just, again, I know I say this every week, but thank you for, you know, helping me to understand um, what really matters in early childhood education, because here in the United States for far too long, we've been focusing on the wrong skills and we are going to change that. So remember self-regulation, self-motivation, self-evaluation, and it's all based in self-talk. So, and, and, and what, what I love is everyone has their own definition of executive functioning. What is, what is executive functioning? Is it organization? Is it having a clean backpack? Is it time management? What is it? The best definition that I use that I've ever heard of executive functioning is executive functioning is a set of behaviors and actions to the self. You doing, you taking a behavior, you taking a thought, you taking an action and directing it towards yourself. So you can, you can take the definition of every unique executive function skill and define it as an action taken to the self. That's why it's self-regulation, self-motivation, self-evaluation, self-talk, visualizing to the self, uh, sensing time to the self organizing to the self it's it's an individual's ability to stop self-regulate motivate towards a task where where gratification is delayed and being able to do something in the present moment and then self-evaluate and self-evaluate well enough and learn and being able to do something in the present moment that's going to benefit you in the future a, a, a week a month years down the road yeah, it's, it's amazing to me to think about because people who are successful, it doesn't mean they don't fail. And this is where I think some people think, oh, well, you're so successful. You, everything go, you're so lucky. Everything goes your way. No, no, no. Somebody who is successful is just somebody who has failed more times than other people, right? Because mm-hmm. really to be successful, it requires, requires failure. And that is why as an early childhood specialist, I want children's you know, block tower to fall over. I want their, their marble run to not stand successfully the first time because every time a child is given child-sized adversity, right? We yes. like that term, child-sized yes, adversity, not trauma. We're not talking about you know, things that cause um, you know, significant uh, mental health issues. We're talking about child-sized adversities. Those are critical for building executive function skills because you need to fail you need to learn to tolerate failure, but the most important thing is you need to learn from your failure, okay? Because like a bouncy ball in life, you are always gonna fall. I promise it, every single day you're gonna fall, which means you're gonna fail. You're gonna do things incorrectly, but guess what? A bouncy ball always comes back, and that is the word, Mike and I love, resiliency, right? So what human beings need to be, what we need to teach young children through play is how to be resilient, how to become the bouncy ball in life. And those are the children who will succeed. And you'll notice two of the first three books we are reading have the word succeed in the title, and that is not... Um, you know, a fluke. It's not um, nope. like so many books about how, um, you know, to raise children are about, because don't we want our children to be successful? Don't we want them to be able to live on their own and get a job and take care of themselves? Like independence, isn't that something you talk a lot about, Mike, too, is, you know, we need, oh, varied experiences. That's another one of my- There we go. Mike uses, Mike, yep. you're going to die when I tell you we're my son. So I have <laughs> my son, Aaron, is 16, he's autistic, and he really prefers to stay in his bubble. He prefers to do the same thing 
Tonight, he went with my husband to his very first Major League Baseball game. Wow. Very nice. Varied experiences. He was very, like, nervous about it. We had to, like, talk him through it and tell him, you know, that they only had to stay for five innings. He goes, what's an inning? He has no idea about baseball. But in Kansas City, we're the city of fountains. So he was mesmerized by all the fountains at the, at the ballpark. So my husband has texted me multiple times and said he's loving it. But yet, this morning when we mentioned it to him, he said, I don't want to go. I, of course you don't. Like, you know, you, you don't want to think outside the box. You don't want varied experiences. But if there's one thing that I've learned from Mike that is probably the most important thing is varied experiences are essential for building executive function skills. So if, you know, and my, what's my favorite thing to say, Mike, is question how many non-screen experiences has your child had today? So keep I was those things in mind. Okay? I was literally having this conversation today and we were, I was sort of reviewing a lot of these trips we did over the summer with our students. Uh -huh. And there was always a small group of parents that I was interacting with. And I was saying, okay, for, for instance, this Tuesday, we're going to go to Valley Forge Historical Park. We're going to go on, uh, we're going to do, a, do a, a picnic and a hike and a walk. And there was a small handful of parents that said, oh, I asked so-and-so. And he said he doesn't want to do that one. He'll do right. the one next week. So it, 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 that's really where it is. So it's so what what gets me so concerned is number one, this screen-based world we're in, this instant gratification world we're in, the rise of permissive parenting, and this this cognitive hypothesis that has created anxiety in our schools. Yep. It's all all of those things together are a recipe for disaster. Disaster, exactly. So what Mike and I are trying to do every Monday is really just show that there are other alternatives. They are not um, in line with what our um, politicians and lobbyists mm -hmm. think is important, uh, but we are going to stand firm and we hope that you will continue to join us every Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. We hope that you will tell your friends, your colleagues, your family members, whoever you think is interested, anybody who has children in um, you know, school or getting ready to start school, but certainly tell your um, colleagues as well because Mike and I are going to continue to read for you in case you don't have the time. Yeah. And we will review each chapter uh, one chapter per week. That's why this is called Chapter Chat. So, Mike, and, this, and has, it, been, this yep. has been great. And everyone, everyone listening on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, I have been blown away by the number of unique downloads and all the different countries that are listening to us. And for it being a brand new podcast, there's only like four or five episodes so far. And to have this many unique downloads per day, I totally understand not everyone can be here on a Monday night. Uh, sure. But we're, we're, we're going to keep doing it. But for, yep. all, for all of you people listening to it in the car, on your walks, in your free time, and catching up with us, and then sending us messages, uh, you know, this is a true, like I always say, it's a true book club. And yep. all, all you regulars who are always here are, are Allison Moultons and our uh, Communiquades and everybody. Yes. Uh, all and, and our Goddard School of Wayne, everyone out yep. there who, uh, who, who's so interactive and is reading along with us. Uh, we, we can't thank you guys and enough. Shares. Thank you for sharing. You know, we try to uh, do a countdown like every Sunday, like how many hours till chapter. Yeah. So many of you share it. So we really appreciate that. Uh, Mike and I are obviously just giving our time to do this, time away from our families, but we um, are extremely passionate about this. And, you know, we're at totally different points in our in our lives. Mike has a, what, six-month-old baby. Six months, and, yeah. 
Yeah, and my kids are 16, 23, and 24, so we're in totally different uh, stages of our life. But, so you're getting, uh, you're getting sleep at night. I'm not. I am getting sleep, and you are not. And <laughs> I am not. So, yeah, I promise one day you will sleep through the night again. I promise. It is coming, okay? Just her, new thing, her, her new thing is to get up at 3 a.m. and not go back oh, to sleep. Oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. Right. Just remember this. The days are long, but the years are short. That's true. That's true. Enjoy every minute of it because she'll be graduating from high school before you know it. So, oh, my goodness. Anyways, thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you next Monday night for another episode of Chapter Chat. And so pumped for next week. Chapter 2 of Finish Lessons. Let's keep it going. That's right. Take care, Mike. We'll talk to you soon. See you guys. Bye.